0: And take your Bibles this morning, and open them up to the book of First Peter. You remember that you ought to have almost a permanent crease in your Bible at First Peter. This is the twentieth message in First Peter, and we're just going to wrap up chapter two uh, today. So we're getting there. We're getting there. We're taking a big chunk today, uh, bigger than we've taken in any previous weeks. Um, while you're turning there, Tina, do we have any update on uh, your your wonderful husband, Pastor Nick? <coughs> Oh, imagine that. Yeah, imagine that. Well, Nick, if for some reason you're listening, I imagine you're probably not, but um, you're probably preaching somewhere or something. They always want to make him preach and uh, make us preach. They like to have us preach when we're there. So uh, you might be resting or preaching. I don't know. But Nick, if you're listening, we love you. We're praying for you. And um, we're glad to finally have been able, after a year to send somebody back out onto the field to be with our brothers and sisters there in Ghana. So uh, keep us up to date on him. Let us know if anything new happens. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. If you pay close attention, you'll see that it's a very close and parallel passage intentionally with the one that Terry just read for us. Listen to what it says in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? By the way, I'm not going to spend any time in the sermon on that, but let me just stop there and say over the years, how many times I've heard Christians say, you know, they've done something awful. They've done committed some horrible sin. They've ruined their marriage uh, they've they've done something horrible. That uh, they've ended up in some terrible situation. They say, "Well, Pastor, it's just you know the Lord's will for me to suffer." Brothers and sisters, it's no credit to you if you suffer because of your sin. You get that? You do something stupid, sinful, and you find yourself suffering. There's no credit to you in that. Okay, God can work good in that but we're not going to assume that we're suffering because it's God's will, because then we'd have to be, if we follow that out to its logical conclusion, we'd have to be saying that then we're suffering because it was God's will for us to commit that particular sin. It's not true. So before I go any further, let's move on. What credit is it, verse 20, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? He Himself bore our sin in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's God's Word for us this morning. You know, it's been almost two months exactly, I think almost to the day when we took our break from 1 Peter. We worked through the Easter season. We worked through a short series on addressing Uh, truth and cultural issues, and we uh, wrapped that up last week. But now we're going to return and and just sort of jump back in with with two feet, and we're going to talk this morning about a subject that we don't talk a lot about, uh, particularly from the pulpit, but we're going to talk about the subject of your work, your work in relationship to Christ. Now, we've been working through 1 Peter, and let me just kind of remind you uh, where we're at. We get to 1 Peter from chapter 1, verse 1. All the way through to chapter 2, verse 10, we have Peter basically teaching us about our identity in Christ. Who are you as a follower of Jesus Christ? What can you say about yourself because you're a follower of Jesus Christ? And so he tells us all about who we are. And then we get to verse 11 in chapter 2, and this is the key transitional point in the book where Peter moves past telling us who we are and now tells us, Since you are these people, you're supposed to live a certain way. And so he begins to apply our faith in our everyday setting and relationship. And the key to understanding all of this and what's going to come in the remainder of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, the key to understanding the context of it all is verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me, where he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so remember, that's the key. That's the key to everything that's coming after. Is He's saying, he's saying I'm pleading with you, Christians, I'm pleading with you to live in such a way that when the people around you in your communities, in your workplaces, in your families, the people around you, when they look at you and and see you as an evildoer, I want you to do such good that they can't help but give glory to God. And then also the day of visitation also, we're going to hope that they will see your good deeds, see Christ in you, and come to know Christ as their Savior. So your life matters to others. And no doubt this is Peter repeating what he learned from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus said, Let your light shine before others. You remember this? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So he's telling us, he's pleading with us, do good for the sake of the people who are watching you. Do good so that they can come to know Christ as well. And then he deals with one specific subject and unpacks it for us in several different ways. And the subject that he's going to deal with is the subject of submitting to authority. So this is where he enters in, in verse 13, to this discussion about submitting to authority. And first, he deals with submission to government authorities. We dealt with that a couple months ago. It's really important. If you weren't here for it, go back, listen to the audio on the podcast. I think it's a super relevant message for all of us in our current setting. So submission to the authority of government. Next, Peter addresses the issue which we're going to deal with today, the issue of servants submitting to their masters. And then finally, next week, what we'll deal with, I know that every woman in the room has been waiting for this one, is we're going to deal with the uh, the subject of submission in marriage. And so come back next week ready for that one. But this is Peter. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Everything, you, if, you, if, you, if you're confused on that subject or... You don't like that subject, you're going to love it after next week. So, so come back and, and we'll talk about that next week. So today we're going to focus on the second issue, which is uh, the relationship of servants to their masters. In verse 18, servants, be subject. We went over that a while back. Be subject, which we find it in verse 13, be subject to human institution. Verse 18, be subject to your master's verse uh, chapter 3 verse 1 likewise likewise wives be subject to your husbands. so this word be subject which really is just one word in the greek and it just really means submit just submit take an attitude of submission so it could be properly translated in verse 18 slaves also the word servant is no doubt the word slave it's meant to be applied that way slaves be subject or submit to your masters now You may think, you may be hearing that and think that that couldn't possibly have any relevance to us. Because none of us, after all, are slaves. And I don't believe any of us have any prospect of becoming a slave. And so we say, well, how could this or the passage that Terry read earlier from Paul's writings, how could these have anything to do with us since clearly none of us are slaves? Well, I think you'll see that it does have a great deal to do with us, and the first thing that we need to do, if we're going to understand how it applies to us, is we need to work through understanding a little bit about slavery in the first century. You know, for most of us uh, in in our Western mindsets, and particularly for our brothers and sisters who are uh, African American brothers and sisters, for most of us, and particularly for for those folks, this issue brings up horrible imagery. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Slavery in the Western world brings up terrible, terrible imagery in our minds. We think about people being bought and sold, literally like cattle, as if they were property. People being bought and sold—they uh, lived with no rights. They were even seen legally at, at some point. They even gained the, the, the status was applied to them that they were even less of a human. Than their masters, they were abused, uh, sometimes dreadfully abused, seen as less than human. So we have this imagery of slavery in our minds, no matter where uh, you find yourself age-wise or, or, or otherwise. We have awful imagery associated with slavery. But we've got to try to do our best. You've got you to hear me on this. We've got to try to do our best to unlink ourselves from that picture for a few moments. Because we can't, not just on the issue of slavery, but on any issue, we cannot afford, we cannot be ever allowed to impose our cultural standards on the truth of the Bible or superimpose our culture over the culture of the Bible. If we do that, we're going to begin to lose the meaning of what's happening. And so here we need to understand, first of all, that slavery in the first century was not like the imagery of slavery that we have in our minds. For instance, let's just walk through it just for a minute. Slavery in the first century, and particularly in the Roman world that Peter's writing and you have to understand that slavery was the backbone of the economy. That the economy was driven by slave labor. Slaves did all the work, Literally. I mean, they did the work that, that made the economy and made the world go round. When we, when we think of slaves, we think of people who were forced to do horrible, physical, back, or back-breaking labor. But when we think of slaves in the first century, you can find them in every type of employment, every type of, of job, every type of vocation. For instance, slaves uh, could not only do manual labor, they certainly did manual labor, but slaves also could be doctors. Slaves were teachers. Slaves were writers, they were accountants, they were secretaries. They uh, sometimes were captains of ships and and, and, uh, fleets of ships that went out to do trade. These were the type of things, all types of different jobs. So they weren't just seen or used as people to do hard physical labor. They did all the work. Slaves did the work of Rome. It's estimated that one-third of the population of all urban centers in the Roman Empire, one out of three people was a slave. It's a lot. Now, there's some other things that are significantly different. Uh, This is super different, is that slavery in the Roman Empire was not permanent. In fact, uh, slaves could purchase their freedom. Most people only served as a slave until about age 30, whereby they were either granted their freedom or they uh, they purchased their freedom on their own. And so it wasn't a permanent situation. Slavery was often entered into voluntarily in the Roman Empire. So people who were in dire straits or didn't have a way to support themselves could offer themselves up to become slaves for some master who could care for them and provide for them. It was also a pathway to citizenship in Rome. Being a Roman citizen was super, super important and afforded people with incredible cultural benefits. And one way to become a Roman citizen, if you weren't a Roman citizen, was to offer yourself as a slave to a Roman citizen. And once you were granted your freedom by that Roman citizen, you were also granted your citizenship. And so people would often volunteer. Uh, There were certainly slaves who who suffered in the Roman Empire, but you have to understand that these slaves were paid, they received a wage, and they were protected by extensive laws in in the Roman government, in the Roman uh, legal system. They were protected by Roman laws. So this is a much different institution. So when Peter and Paul talk about slaves in the New Testament... They're addressing a group of people that, honestly, I think is sort of difficult for us to understand because we have so much negative imagery with the idea of slavery. And we also don't have a sort of a a true one-for-one cultural equivalent to what they were. Listen to what Wayne Wayne Grudem said about this. He said, a word stronger than servant, but weaker than slave is needed. Something meaning semi-permanent employee without legal or economic freedom. That's a big definition. And then he goes on to say that the word employee, though not conveying the idea of absence of freedom, does reflect the economic status and skill level of these ancient slaves better than do either of the words servant or slave today. So now, based on that long definition or or description of slavery in the first century, now I hope you can see that there's a reason this applies to us today. I know some of you are retired. I know some of you uh, have the, the ability to stay home and, and be with the kids and raise the kids. I know not everybody leaves on Monday morning to go out into the workplace or goes to their computer in the basement to go to the workplace or whatever, however we do it these days. But all of us will be or have been or currently are employees. And so this does apply to all of us because every single one of us has spent time in the workplace. And so this is essentially Peter addressing the employee, for, for a softer term for us to understand its application for us today, the relationship between the employee and the employee. How do you relate to your employer? It's a really important question, and Peter sees it as a primary question for that day, I think it's interesting that that on the, this issue of authority, he brings up three big uh, three big sections of their life or pieces of their life. number one was their submission to government. number two was their submission to uh, authority in the workplace for lack of a better term or th- to their masters and then third, in the family in the marriage. Now, why do you think that Peter would choose? These three things to talk about when he says, I'm imploring you to live your life in a way that others can see Christ in you and come to know Christ. Why would he then deal with government, masters, and marriage? I think the answer is easy. Because people were finding freedom, true freedom, which you should find when you come to Christ. They were finding freedom in Christ. And some people in the first century, there was a temptation then to say, and Paul even deals with this, where he says some people in the church have said that there is no authority over me now except Christ. And so they were rebelling against the authorities around them. And what does that do to the movement as a whole? Puts in serious danger. Saying for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ and for the good of the gospel message, submit to the government, submit to your master's, Submit in marriage. Don't undo these institutions because we need to thrive within them so that people can come to know Christ. The most important thing, brothers and sisters, listen. In a world of social media, in a world where we can post things and we often do, uh, let let me absolve myself from that. I don't. I don't post anything on social media for this reason, for what I'm about to tell you. In a world where we share opinions, where everything's a hot take, where everything is is polarized, people knowing Jesus is more important than anything else. Your position on government, your your um, your feelings about our president or our former president, your feelings about many things that are going on in our culture are not nearly as important as people knowing Christ. So if you're, if you're causing damage in your relationships and in your setting based upon your opinions on other things, before you can get to the gospel, then stop it and get back to the gospel. So Peter's saying that, that first of all, I think that's why he deals with these things. We can't undo their structures. And then as far as masters and, and slaves and employees and employers, we can't collapse the economy because that's a surefire way for them to snuff you out. Then there's another reason, though, that I, that I think is important. Who besides your family do you spend the most time with? Your co-workers. I mean, for some people, you spend more time with your coworkers than you do your family. I remember years ago, I used to work for Denise's uncle. And uh, not just her uncle, but then... I worked for her uncle, but the family was always around. There's a bunch of brothers. Dennis is one of them. and uh, And so... I would see them all on the job site and I worked for them for years. And then we would go to like family reunions. And there were also cousins like Jerry. Jerry and I worked together and other cousins who would show up from time to time for various reasons. And the, uh, we would work together. We'd go to a family reunion or get together and we'd leave. And Denise would say, man, they know you better. They know me. I said, well, why is that? I spend all my time with them. I work with them. I mean, I spent more time back in those days with, with her uncles and cousins than I did with her probably. So these relationships are important. Your attitude and your, uh, the way you handle yourself in the workplace is important. Gosh, you know, this is going to turn into a two-part sermon. <laughs> it just is. I know it is. I'm looking at the clock, and I know some of you will say, Pastor, don't stop preaching. But I just think probably I'll need to linger on this point for a moment. Listen to what I'm about to say. You spend your time, the most amount of time outside of your home, maybe equal to your home, in the workplace. You cannot be a faithful Christian. Listen to me. You cannot be a faithful Christian if you leave your faith at home when you go to work. You hear what I say? You cannot be faithful to Christ... If you pack your faith away and leave it in the car when you get out of the car to go to work. Or you have your devotion with your spouse or your kids and then you close up that little box and then you go out into the world and you open that box up when you get home. You cannot be faithful to Christ if you leave your faith at home when you go to work. Your faith, this is where I'm going to have to linger and probably I'll just end here. and We'll pick up next week so much for moving quickly through first peter right so your faith is not a private matter y'all with me for a minute take take these take some notes here write this in your bible your faith is not a private matter and this is so important because and that's exactly what when he deals with government and Servants and masters in marriage, he's saying you can't put your faith away. It's not just you. It impacts the people around you. Live in such a way among the Gentiles, right? Among them. So you can't just put your faith away. Your faith is not a private matter. Now, the reason I have to dwell on this for a moment is because for us as 21st century Western American Christians we have largely been trained by our culture, and even some within the church, we've been trained to approach our faith as a private matter. Culturally, we've arrived there. That's how we do it. There are three things. You, you all are aware, by the way, that in America, the, the, the church is declining at such a rapid Church membership, church attendance, and and churches in general, the decline of Christendom in America is happening at such a rapid rate that some are saying that perhaps by 2050 we'll be almost extinct. Now, I don't believe that. I don't believe the church ever becomes extinct. But part of the reason we are where we are is because we've made faith a private matter. This is how it happened. So we have... I'll try and do this without notes. There are three things that have happened that have led to the decline of Christendom in Western culture. The first thing is secularization. So we talked about this last year. So secularization is when uh, we, we just take God out of the equation. So our culture becomes secular. And this has been happening to us for 100 years. We're seeing its fruits now. How many of you watch the news uh, read, uh, Larry, you re- still read the newspaper because uh, I've seen you doing it and I passed you at a McDonald's once and you were reading the newspaper. Um, <laughs> I was outside. He was, I looked. and said, there's Larry and he was reading the newspaper. So you read the newspaper. You watch the news. You talk to people. And how many of you ever say to yourself, this world has gone absolutely crazy? Like, that's the fruits of secularization where we don't even see truth anymore. We don't even see objective truths anymore in our culture. So we have secularization. And then on the heels of secularization, uh, what happens is when we start denying that there's a God, and denying that there's a truth, and that you can live your truth and I'll live my truth and all that stuff, then what happens on the heels of that is that people begin to say, listen, uh, you can't tell me what's true anymore. We all define our own truth based on our own feelings. And so your faith is as valid as my faith, and my faith is as valid as your faith, and yours is as valid as yours. No matter what you believe, you're just living your truth. You've heard that before, right? We're all living our own truth now, which is ridiculous. But you're all living your own truth. Well, that's pluralization. So you have secularization and you have pluralization, where we have plural truths and plural... Uh, every faith is equally valid, this plurality of, of faith and all of these things. And so what do they lead to next? If, if we can't define truth, and your truth is your own individual truth, the next thing is you can't impose your truth on me. You can't do that. Our culture says, no, you can't. How, how dare you share your faith and try to impose your truth on somebody else? And so, what are we being told? Your faith is fine as long as it stays private. Secularization leads to pluralization, leads to privatization, leads to the death of the church in Western culture. And many of us have bought into this. We've just... We don't do it for the same reasons, but we've just come to the conclusion that I don't want to fight. I don't want to be seen as a bigot. I don't want to... Upset my co-workers. I don't want to upset my family members. So I'm just going to keep my relationship with Jesus to myself. I'm going to live to the best of my ability as a follower of Jesus, but it's between me and Jesus. And what Peter says, and what Paul says, and what Jesus says is, you cannot be faithful as a follower of Jesus and keep your faith to yourself. You can't do it. And so we ought to then expect the place where we spend the most time for Peter to deal with that. And he is going to deal with that next week. Gary, would you come up here? And um, I'm sorry, but I'm not even a third through my notes. Like, you'd be here till two o'clock if I just kept going. So I'm not going to do that. But we're going to stop there, and I'm going to encourage you to think about this morning, just by way of application. I always want you to apply it. Think about the application of this in your own life. You don't have to be an evangelist at work. I don't even think that you should always be an evangelist where you're just openly preaching or telling people about Jesus. But the way you live, Peter says, matters. The pattern of your life matters, and eventually the pattern of your life will lead to words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have to live out our faith. And if we privatize our faith, I want to say this morning that we all should take this opportunity to repent and decide to live out loud for Jesus. Live in a way that matters for Jesus.